Welcome to Table 86, a podcast celebrating Black and other underrepresented talent transforming the landscape of the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Gio Darwin. Let's take a seat. From styling A-list celebrities on Fifth Avenue to working under some of New York's most famous chefs, Rashida Purdy boasts an impressive resume full of vibrant experiences, all of which she has poured into her own business, Ramen by Ra. Launched during the global pandemic, Ramen by Ra offers exclusive dine-in ramen experiences for guests to indulge in from the comfort of their homes. In this episode, Rashida shares how her business was birthed from her deep appreciation for ramen and its origins, and how through curiosity and commitment to lifelong learning, she was able to make the leap into becoming a professional chef. Rashida, I can't thank you enough for joining the podcast today. (laughs) I'm so so happy to be here with you. I am really happy to have you. So first things first, is it Rashida or Ra? Which one do you prefer to go by just based on your business name? Um, Either, honestly. It was a decision to make because obviously Ra relates to ramen so very well. And I was fortunate enough to finally find some way to put my name into a brand. So honestly, if someone comes up to me, I feel so cool when someone says raw, but either Rashida or raw, because if you say raw, I know that you know me through food. So that's a great connection. That is a good note. And I did notice the the play on ramen by raw. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was really cool. I was like, oh, this is perfect for her. So I do definitely want to talk a little bit about ramen by raw, but I, was browsing your website. I obviously follow you on Instagram. And what was most interesting to me initially is that you were a stylist. Yes. NYC. And I know you worked for big brands. I I believe Henry Bendel. Was it that you did some work for Michelle Obama too? I was like, oh, this is dope. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about your origin story? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Well, of course, I was a stylist here and that was before cooking. I am originally from the DMV area and my parents are from New York. My dad is actually originally from North Carolina, but he moved here to Long Island. That's where he met my mom. So I have connections from the South and up North. But as a child, I always said I'm moving to New York. That's the city for me. And after high school and a little bit of college, I just came to New York, went to FIT, spent a lot of years within the fashion industry, and then made my way to become a stylist, honestly, through the waves of management with Betsy Johnson, Mm -hmm. merchandising with Bloomingdale's, and the huge, and the most time that I've spent was at Henry Bendel, which I was a stylist there for eight and a half years. And being a stylist on Fifth Avenue in that time, which was, I would say, early 2000s, right before the 2010s, was very, you know, unique in its own way. Yes, Fifth Avenue and the fashion and the personal styling industry, in my opinion, have changed over time due to everything being geared towards online. However, right before that, transition, I felt like I got what was left of the fashion industry before everything went to online shopping. And I can definitely say I've 
learned so much from my experience at Henry Bendel, whether it was elevating myself as a fashionista, mm-hmm. helping and styling some of the elites of New York, and then having the opportunity to style, like you said, Michelle Obama, her family, and also Beyonce and Little Miss Blue Ooh, when Beyonce. she was like <laughs> one or two years old. And to be able to be in those type of fields and to be selected to style some of those women and have those experience under my belt geared me towards, you know, wanting to push more as it pertains to art. And thinking a little bit about that, uh, obviously at some point you pivoted from being a stylist to becoming a chef. Um, When did that happen and why? So basically it happened after I would say my sixth to seventh year being on, um, Fifth Avenue as a stylist in Henry Bendel, Mm -hmm. because like I said, I started to see things change. I started to see certain stores close. I started to see um, stores move. And I was like, hmm, it's getting a little different on Fifth Avenue. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, okay, I personally want to take advantage of what I have right now, which is being a stylist, making a great amount of money this young and try to maximize on my future and put myself in a position where if things change, I was ahead of it. And I'm glad that I really took that time to brainstorm my future because it allowed me to really navigate what is good for me and what's bad for me or the pros and cons of my next step. And so I said, I always want to be busy. I want to stay creative. How can I stay creative and be busy at the same time? And that was honestly the restaurant industry as a whole. Mm. And So early on, I said, oh, let me put myself through culinary school. Let me make sure I pay down all of the culinary school debt so that when I am ready to jump into the restaurant industry, I don't have that debt over my head. And then I really went into the kitchen, didn't look back, and I am still here to this day. So if you put that brainstorming together and put that blueprint on paper, you can really develop a career for yourself that you created. No, I I think that's a beautifully stated point. And I agree with you. Um, There is both, I would imagine, being a stylist in that industry and being in kitchens, and you worked in a number of big restaurants in the New York Mm -hmm. area. Both are probably pretty competitive environments. Yes. Very fast paced environments. Exactly. So I see where there's definitely overlap. Yes. Yes. You start to talk a little bit about it. You you said in terms of people are like, why stylist to chef? And I I can obviously see the overlap, but yes. the why food? Um, as a creative, mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. why was food the next creative space that you wanted to move into? Well, ultimately, it's a space which we are all familiar with, whether we are pass down family recipes and traditions, whether you want to go out on a Friday night and dine at your favorite restaurant or explore the restaurant scene. It's in our nature to just be in the restaurant scene, no matter what the occasion or celebration is. And being as though I'm from New York and I've been here as it relates to fashion, I will be all around all of these different trunk shows and or fashion events that were catered and Mm -hmm. you just elevate when it comes down to food. And there was things like I would just start eating caviar, champagne, stuff that I wasn't eating or, had the experience of on an everyday basis. But then when I became a stylist, it was up on the everyday basis. So as much as I needed to know what designer was great or what was popular or what looks great on you, we also needed to gear ourselves around knowing 
what to serve to maximize this experience. So because that connection was under the styling world for me, I then said, okay, you know what? This is fancy. This is cute. I want to learn how to become a chef because I had that connection within the Henry Bindle umbrella. Mm. So from having that connection, I said, you know what? I want to elevate my cooking skills. We go out to eat so often here. We go to cocktail hours so often here that as much as fashion was full-time, going out to eat was as busy too and full-time for me as well. I just basically took something that I love so much, which was food as well, to the next level because I felt like fashion for me was getting drained out. Absolutely. And I I think that's an awesome pivot that you were able to make, um, especially because you were already embedded in that culture, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. as you said, and getting exposure to Mm -hmm. things that you traditionally didn't have exposure to. Exactly. Exactly. And being able to be a part of the New York dining scene creates such a diverse, you know, palette for you. Like you're going to places that are one of a kind. And because this is the melting pot of it all, it's the same exact melting pot for the food culture. Right. Exactly. Exactly. In looking at your resume and all the the restaurants you worked in, um, I I know that you worked for Red Rooster. Actually, Marcus Samuelson's cookbook is one of my favorites. (laughs) Oh, yes. I have them all. They could take you places (laughs) <laughs> they right? can really yeah. take you places you've never <laughs> been before. Oh, again, there's so many good recipes and exposure to so many ingredients yes. I hadn't been exposed to before. Um, yes. in, in knowing that and knowing that you've had formal culinary training and then you've gotten to work with um, many big name, name chefs, can you tell me a little bit about what your education was like, uh, both that formal education, but then also in these kitchens? Yes, the experiences were all once in a lifetime. And I mean to say coming from, and that's the mindset that I really go into a lot of my different, you know, jobs or opportunities, because when you put yourself out there and you put your best foot forward, you are then given the opportunities that you probably think you're not going to get one being working with chef Marcus and under him Mm -hmm. for that many years really pushed me as a person to not be afraid to be creative as it relates to food. And I mean that in so many different ways. You see me, you may just expect there's just a basic, you know, recipe or dinner that I'm exude just based off of the world that we live in, if you will. Right. And I mean that because I'm from Maryland and I have ties to the South through my dad's family, the North through my mother's family. And that doesn't mean I can't whip up you a sushi roll, but because I'm under a chef that pushes the envelope at every given moment, you start to create your own personality as a chef around that. So you have to step your game up at every given moment. And with that training, it allowed me to be as creative, just like I was when I was a stylist. So that's why I've always say I couldn't have one without the other, because it's a level of confidence that come with being a creator and being on the chef markets allowed me to, you know, blossom into that creative chef that I am today. And I really can say having the relationship with him has grown me also as a professional and an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I'm so very fortunate that I have him as a mentor and through meeting him was also with another phenomenal chef, Chef Melba Wilson, who is out Mm -hmm. of Harlem as well. And just having those two in my vision 
very early on molded me into this person that you see today that can speak in front of an audience or and cook in front of an audience because I've learned so much from them. Melba is such a great speaker and she just draws you in through her food and storytelling and history. And then Marcus is such a phenomenal chef that he draws you in through his creativity and knowledge Mm -hmm. from a global standpoint. So honestly, I'm very fortunate for those two very early on in my career. And I can say now as I've grown myself the years down the line, they are very proud of me. But at the same time, I am so happy that I stepped out on faith and was not, you know, nervous to have such powerful mentors. Right. I think it's really important. And and especially people who have been in the industry and have found a lot of success in the industry because they pushed the envelope, um, because they were unique. And uh, backing up a little bit, one of the things you were saying is like, you know, people look at you, people might look at me. and think what we have to offer is one thing in terms yes. of our, our profession. And, and a lot of times that's the juxtaposition of us being black, like you being a black woman, Correct. me being black man. Um, and um, I think it is phenomenal that you have been able to build your craft and go into all these other types of cuisine. Yes. Um, so now I, I kind of want to switch gears and talk about ramen yeah. by Ra. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, today, absolutely. Right, right. Uh, right. <laughs> so tell me why ramen and, and how that concept came up. Why ramen has so many answers that I can give you. I do want to start by also saying because of those connections that I were, that, that I was very serious about having, Another chef that I was connected to and very early on in my career, along with the Melba and along with the Marcus is Chef JJ, who is definitely a chef that I can Mm. say I first got my experience of the fusion of the Afro-American Asian fusion very early on, right straight out of culinary school for my internship. Now, speed it up to 2020. I am there again without even realizing, oh my God, this was my internship. This was the first (laughs) kitchen that I have experience in. Not only was I so happy to be under that field because it allowed me to infuse my culture through food and learn how to infuse it with the Asian culture and food. I just basically walked away from that experience as a opportunity to see that things can be infused so tastefully and respectfully. And that's what I have built with ramen by raw throughout the pandemic. I really had to revamp myself as a chef because we were given this time. And very early on, I took time for me and because Mm -hmm. I needed to take time for me, I needed to really clean out whatever it was that was a part of the gray area of the unknown due to all of the closures in New York during the pandemic. I just had to have my ramen, which I didn't have on a regular basis. Like I was, uh, before COVID. I, I would see. dine out to ramen restaurants probably once a week at the least. And because it just went from straight eating ramen a lot to absolutely none, I took that time to develop myself as a chef when it came down to broths, toppings, learning how long it takes and why it takes so long, reading cookbooks, documentaries, all of these things centered around Asian food and culture so that I can put what I feel best represent that culture as I cook. Previously, we had a conversation around 
appropriation versus appreciation. And you definitely fall into that appreciation camp. Thank you. When we talk about appreciation of culture, and obviously ramen is an Asian cuisine, right? It it originated there. For you, how did you learn um, to appreciate that? And what did it look like for you in that learning experience? It's just basically just being pure about what it is that I'm putting out. I don't want to come off and be inappropriate to what I hold so near and dear to my heart, which is food and dibbling and dabbling and infusing things that I'm not raised under. What I want to do is show you what I've learned, how Mm -hmm. I learned, give you the resources and put these individuals that I learned from on the map because I wouldn't be here without it. You got to tap into other people's cultures respectfully because that's what we are all here for. And that's how we can collectively build together, learn from one another and grow together. You have to put time into that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's evident like that you've put a lot of time into really, really learning your craft. So thank you. Another thing um, that I, you had mentioned is that there's a complexity to ramen that like enticed you a bit. Um, And so we talked about how like everybody knows oodles and noodles or grew up on top ramen, like, you know, uh, especially in the black community. (laughs) Right. Um, Yes. Yes. Love it. Um, And ramen is so much more than that. Um, Oh, much more. And I'm curious how you speak and educate about that. So even when it comes down to speaking and educating as it relates to the difference between top ramen and ramen from scratch, it even gears back to how you appreciate the culture. Because I went through different cookbooks and documentaries in that time that I put into it, the way that ramen was put on the scene in Japan is the same way that it was put on a scene here in the U.S. It was a poor man's meal at first. Mm. It was a poor man's meal that actually only veterans would eat because it was fast. It was easy to stay full. And then when it came down to the households, people would eat top ramen because they couldn't afford lavish meals. People got that same exact introduction to top ramen here in the U.S., whether it was through the household, through Mm -hmm. college students, we just didn't have that money at the time. So top ramen is what it was. And it was something that we all connect to. So when I realized that we have that connection as it relates to the elevation in top ramen, I was blown away. I did not know top ramen was a poor man's meal, even when it originated in Japan. There's so many layers into this masterpiece that I am blown away with even my growth with my bowls. Thinking more about mm-hmm. specifically your ramen by raw experiences. Um, I know the menu shifts and changes. You, you've sent yes. some sample menus and I've gotten to look at them. Um, yes. Can you just walk me through baseline? What mm-hmm. can, what would a guest, if they invited you yeah. is, now, are these experiences in your home or do you go into people's homes? No. So Ramen by Raw offers you specialty ramen kits that are prepared, well, that are cooked, packaged, and prepared for you to assemble at home. Lovely. Lovely. So it's not your ordinary 
to go bag, to go cart. No, this is something that I actually put a lot of time into. You have pre-paired food that are all packaged separately. You have to understand, like I'm giving you experience as if you're a chef and a diner at the same time. Mm. You get to plate the food together. You get to read the instructions. Mm. We are giving you a handcraft experience that starts from the beginning to end. So in thinking about what the, the, the boxes that you've created in the past, the experiences that yes. you've created in the past, because it is truly an experience that you're offering to people. Yes. Uh, what have been your favorites? Well, I can definitely say my favorite is Juneteenth. It has yet to come mm. out. Yes. But it's my favorite because it's the most unusual. Outside of the Juneteenth one, my favorite will be... That's hard. I think it's a (laughs) fight between Cherry Blossom and New Year's. So just because I'm intrigued, can you talk to me a little bit about what um, you can choose one, Cherry Blossom or um, New Year's? Uh, Yeah. What what was the structure of that box? So Cherry Blossom was an experience that I merged the ideas of basically Cherry Blossom Festival and my childhood memories Mm. for Easter. Because you're from D.C. Yes. And Cherry Blossoms and the Cherry Blossom Festival is so popular in D.C. And I wanted to express my love for Cherry Blossoms and my love for Easter in one experience. And it worked so well. Everything complement each other as it relates to spring, whether it was the ingredients, the stories, the imagery, like everything was just so beautifully well put together. And then the layers of the box, you had ramen deviled eggs, you had cherry blossom ramen that had purple cabbage, mm. broccoli, roasted potatoes and this was my first time doing a cream based broth and then you had a fried shrimp cracker fried garlic sesame and then you closed the experience off of with the dessert which was it was oh my god I'm just I'm really fantasizing it in my head so (laughs) the (laughs) dumplings were uh, homage to Japan and the cherry blossom festival which was the dango dumplings which is pink, white, and green, which colors represent the layers of the cherry blossoms and how they grow in one color and develop in another color and then become green at the ending stage. They actually eat those at the Cherry Blossom Festival in Japan. And then you you paired it with your cherry blossom tea, which is Sakura tea, which they also drink in Japan. So there's so many beautiful layers to that particular creation. And I think I would say, Cherry Blossom was the most beautiful experience. Mm, It was very important to me to express that, like my childhood memories inspired by Japan's gift of friendship. That just basically is the experience in a nutshell. And it really speaks to you in that appreciation Mm -hmm. piece as well, right? Um, Exactly. um, And also merges two worlds for you um, from that upbringing in D.C., um, nostalgia around Easter, Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. pulling in the cultural elements from Asia. It sounds beautiful. So I know you started this business during the pandemic and now we are slowly coming out Mm -hmm. of it. Um, Yes. I don't know if it's slowly or quickly now because it seems like we're ramping up pretty fast. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I feel like every week it's like one week is fast and one week we take a couple steps back and then the next week we take 
four more steps ahead. No, I, I completely agree. And so as you think about the future of Ramen Bhaira, um, what are your like next steps? Um, how do you want to grow and evolve? Honestly, I would like to grow and evolve as a chef yet again in a kitchen. So I've definitely taken some time to think about this. And like any experience I've ever been a part of, I also sit down, write it down and map it out. I think it's time for Ramen by Ra to take a slight pause only for my development in the Asian world food in a kitchen. So I really want to tap into working in an Asian restaurant so that I can respectfully grow to the next chapter. I've mm. done such a great job within the pandemic from my self-growth and like being self-taught that I want to give my skills a challenge and grow within the next year two at the most. And I think that that is, that's the route that is necessary because I built up so much confidence throughout this time. And because we as a country are getting back to where we are, we're kind of getting back to where we need to be. I am also getting back to where I feel like, okay, as a, as, as my confidence, I am ready to apply or an interview with an Asian restaurant or multiple. But for the pandemic, that was never a thought. But yet again, remember, all of these experiences that I have, I put myself in positions to get what I can get out of them mm -hmm. and be under chefs that groom me in a way that I never imagined. I'm taking that same exact mindset with this experience. Like I am so very happy to get back in the kitchen. And I said, I'm not going to go back to the kitchen unless there's an opportunity that I can get daily training and growth. And that is how it's going to be for me to go into an Asian restaurant because I have never worked in one before. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm very happy for that development. Yes, it will be tough, but I need that, especially coming out of a pandemic. I need to be put into the fire because that's when my best work is put on a, put on a line. Time for yes. table topic. And yeah. table topics are a portion of the show where my guest gets to drop a little knowledge on my listeners, uh, give some tips in their area of expertise, which for you obviously is ramen. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about this, but we think about ramen. I think a lot of people um, may think about ramen very narrowly um, or to what our initial exposure was to it. Yes. What are your tips for someone who wants to elevate their ramen game at home um, and also in a healthy way? Absolutely. I would definitely say elevating your ramen at home and doing it in a healthy way is very easy and it's very, very easy to manage. There's not much. You can have ramen that is simple or you can layer it with different layers of toppings. I have a great connection and relationship with the brand called Sun Noodles, who mm. basically has developed me also as a chef throughout this pandemic by supporting me with their ramen noodles. All of my experiences are Sun Noodles. So Sun Noodles has these ramen kits that you can prepare at home. And they come with noodles and sauce that you mix with water. And it's so easy. There's two servings per box. They have three toppings and they are the bomb. So I 
please trust me and know that this is how I got started. And because I am where I am today, I will always be thankful for Sun Noodles. So even if you are in Whole Foods or online, Sun Noodles is out there available for you. And my favorite flavor is spicy sesame. Nice. So in thinking about Sun Noodles, obviously you you use them as a base. What Mm -hmm. are some um, additional things that like you add to elevate? Oh, yes. So I actually have a recipe with sun noodle, which is my Southern ramen recipe, which is paired with the spicy sesame. And I have a recipe that is on their website and on their Instagram with collard greens, turkey neck bones, black Mm -hmm. eyed peas. This is all in that ramen. So even if it's something that you want to build up on, you can even start small, whether it's a soy marinated egg. You can do soft boil, hard boil. You can actually just do an egg yolk. Even if you put just an egg yolk in ramen and mix it in with your broth, it takes your broth to a whole nother level. You can put sesame seeds, scallions. That's very, very easy to manage. Put the egg on for about five to six minutes, drop it into your ramen, toss it with some sesame, put some scallions, I guarantee you it's going to be delicious. So easy and so easy to cook and you enjoy it within, I would say, a five minute time span. That easy and that quick. That's awesome. Now, are there any other toppings that you, um, toppings or mix-ins, I I don't know the correct terminology, but um, that you think also elevate ramen and keep it healthy? Yeah. So some toppings that you can elevate with, but keep it healthy is just keeping it green. You can do Mm. it with your bok choy. You can do it with spinach. I love collard greens in my ramen. And I'm telling you, we all love collard greens. Mm -hmm. You can cook it the same that is traditionally cooked slow on low, but you can also just chop it up really quickly and saute it with some good old salt and um, apple cider vinegar. But what I'm saying is if you want to keep it healthy, Use all raw veg. You can have some corn in there, bok choy in there, shredded carrots, bean sprouts. It really doesn't take much to elevate your ramen, especially if you use all veg. And if you want to just toss protein in there like shrimp or chicken, go about it the way that you would normally cook it and use it as a topping. Ramen is so good and it's not to be overthought about. So Mm -hmm. please don't overthink. Put your layers in there, plate it beautifully so that you can taste each and every layer of your creation. It's really easy. Rashida, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I learned so much about the history of ramen um, as well as intertwined with your personal history. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to make it to New York and pick up my ramen by raw. Yes, please (laughs) come. I, I, as soon as the pandemic's over, um, if my listeners are in the New York area, um, and want to get in touch, want to try out some ramen by raw, how do they do that? Yes, you can follow me at ramen by raw on Instagram. And I also have my website, which I am on very frequently, ramenbyraw.com, or you can also reach out to me, which my email is raw at ramenbyraw.com. There's so many ways that you can connect with me and the best way possible is through Instagram. You have all of those connections there and I hope to talk to you soon. 